and welcome to the March instalment of the Shameless Book Club. This month, we read Violetta by New York Times bestselling author Isabel Allende. This novel tells the epic story of Violetta Devel, a woman whose life spans 100 years and bears witness to the greatest upheavals of the 20th century. The dissolution of a family fortune, a tempestuous marriage interspersed with love affairs, the machinations of family and friends over a century, all set against political upheaval in her homeland, an unnamed Latin American country. This book was such an interesting one. There is so much for us to unpack and discuss. Before we get there, let me introduce my marvellous co-hosts, Annabelle Lee. Hello. And Zara McDonald. Hello. 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 Hi, honeys. Thanks for having me, as always. (laughs) (laughs) We are so excited. Let's start with background on Isabella Londe, today's author. Annabelle, Mm. we'll begin with you. What did you find out about Isabel? Well, Isabel has written 21 books. They've been translated into over 40 languages and she sold more than 70 million books all up. This is also, I'm off topic straight from the beginning, but (laughs) the name sounded familiar to me, even though I'd never read an Isabel Alonde book before. And it's because I'm a big fan of Gilmore Girls and Isabel Alonde was one of the authors that Rory Gilmore would read. Oh, really? Yeah. So I always associated Isabel's name with like feminism and intellect and like that kind (laughs) of like highbrow literacy, I guess, as per Rory Gilmore's taste in books. Love that. (laughs) Zara? Well, my mum has been on my back for years to read Isabella one day. And I think when your mum is on your back about reading someone, you're always like, no. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? This is not my style. This is not my thing. So she was spectacularly stoked when we picked this book for book club. I loved as well that Alonde is 79 and Anarita throughout the book is not 79. She's a bit older than that. But I imagine or I felt very much throughout this book that surely there's a bit of wisdom, you know, coming through the narrator from Mm. Isabel that I kind of, you know, could see those parallels. I think what's most interesting as well, and I think we find this a lot with authors who have sold huge amounts of books, is she's definitely clopped flack throughout her career for just being too commercial. selling too many books. I read this really interesting quote of hers where she said, the fact people think that when you sell a lot of books, you are not a serious writer is a great insult to readership. I get a little angry when people try to say such a thing. Mm, Really interesting one. What also piqued my interest when I was researching Isabella Londe is how much her real life maybe intersects with the storylines in Violetta. So for those who aren't familiar, when Isabel was three, her father abandoned the family, a theme we saw in this book, and that forced her mother to raise three children on her own. They originally lived in Peru. They then moved to Chile. Now, Isabella Londe has also lived quite the life, just like the protagonist in this book. She's actually the blood relative of socialist president Salvador Allende. Now, he was killed during a violent coup, which, again, is also touched on in this book. Isabel herself at that time was blacklisted by the Chilean government and fled with her husband and two children to Venezuela, where she lived for 13 years. And that period of her life she refers to as exile. So lots of overlap. It's why this book has so much in it and it all seems like super accurate and like historical. This is jumping ahead, but that kind of felt dense to me. Mm. Sorry to, to speak too soon, but that was one of the things that kind of like 
bored me a little bit yeah. to sound blunt, but no, she has lived an incredible life. And interestingly, writing novels in letter form, much like Violetta was, is very much Isabel's writing style. So her debut novel, The House of Spirits, originated as a letter to her dying grandfather. And another one of her novels called Paula was written as a letter to her daughter, who sadly endured severe brain damage and eventually passed away before the book was published. Yeah, the thing about Isabella Lunde is generally she just seems incredible. Like one of the great joys of this book was not reading it, <laughs> but instead reading interviews with Isabel because there was this incredible interview that she did with Conversations on Love, which I'm going to put in our show notes, where she spoke and she seemed to have this sort of similar zest for life that our protagonist had and how like she kind of exuded that sense that age is just a number. And I really, really like some of the quotes she has on the record about divorcing her husband when she was 72. And she said, when I was 72, I divorced my husband, Willie, with whom I had been for 28 years. I thought I'd be alone for the rest of my life. Everybody said, how silly of you to divorce at 72, you'll be alone. And I said, well, it takes courage to be alone, but it takes more courage to stay in a relationship that is not working. Mm. She also spoke a lot about falling in love later in life and how it's a different kind of love because you don't have much time left. And she said, both of us, her, her and her new partner, think often of how little time we have left. So we try to live our love in ways I never thought of before. With other relationships, I had a lot of time and now I don't. There's no time for pettiness, for little fights, for jealousy, for getting irritated because he leaves his socks on the stairs it doesn't matter I can live with the socks on the stairs and he is very patient with me too I know not directly relevant to the book but I do think it's sort of understanding that context probably does inform parts of these storylines I'm also just obsessed with Isabella Londe because she's such a kick-ass woman yeah as you said Zara so many of her quotes so many of her actions across her life like getting a divorce at 72 just give you this like incredible sense of energy and mm. like motivation and drive. One little tidbit about Isabel's life that I really loved is that for a short time in Chile, she had a job of translating romance novels from English to Spanish. <laughs> but she was fired from that job because she was making unauthorized changes to the dialogue of the women involved to make them sound more intelligent. She also altered the ending of Cinderella to allow Cinderella to have have more independence and do something good with <laughs> oh the world. Oh my God, that's incredible. I know. <laughs> so I just like, I think throughout her entire life, although Isabel probably isn't a perfect person, I'm sure she would even attest to that. She just seems to be someone who is such a firecracker and that energy, I think, was really transferred into this novel as well. I wonder if any of those altered copies made it out into the universe. It's just like a little girl out there sitting there reading this like feminist version of Cinderella. Yeah. Okay, it would be worth such a bomb yeah. now, like such a collector's oh. item. So good. Guys, we've spoken about the background of Isabel Alonde, but what I really want to talk to you about is, of course, this particular novel, Violetta. Let's start, I think, with the characters. What characters landed for you, Zara? Quite a few, actually. I mean, I kind of hinted before that I didn't love this book and I didn't really. I didn't really love reading it at all. But then when I was <laughs> writing down my notes and really kind of centralising my thoughts on the story, I realised I loved quite a few of the characters, which is quite funny. Interesting. First and foremost, I really loved Jose Antonio, <gasps> yes. the brother. He seemed like a really incredible man. I also wondered too if it reminded me a bit of my mum 
relationship with her older brothers. She was the youngest daughter, mm. lost her dad really young and is very close with her older brother and kind of grew up with him as her pseudo dad. And I was like, that relationship is very, very lovely. And I think for someone like Jose Antonio, it takes incredible strength and courage to say, I am going to step into this family and now be a father when you know, I never asked for that. He was a safe haven. I loved Jose Antonio as well. Did you, Annabelle? I did. And I also loved his love for Miss Taylor. Yes. And that it was so strong, but it was also so polite. Like when he realised that Miss Taylor maybe wasn't as into it as he was, he stepped back, but he was always there and his love was always super strong. And then they ended up together platonically, was it? No, they ended up being romantic. Yeah. They had yeah. sex. I think On there the was boat. a great, yeah, yeah, there was a great line where she said they never had any intention to consummate the marriage, but basically like within days, <laughs> yeah. it been consummated and they were fully together. I loved that storyline. I loved it because it told a bisexual story, which we often don't read about as far back as this happened. I think this was all like in the 1950s, I think, maybe when they officially got together, maybe 1960s. I just loved the Jose Antonio, Teresa Rivas and Miss Taylor dynamic. I thought it was epic. Yeah, I think when it came to Teresa and Miss Taylor, I adored that story so much and I kind of wish we had a bit more of it. In fact, perhaps it would have been better if the whole book was about them. Like they are, <laughs> they were more interesting people. Their story was more interesting. I also wanted to know more of when Violetta found out about them though. Like throughout the book, Violetta would write, you know, when Miss Taylor told me later that she was actually in love with Teresa this whole time and we never knew that. We never got that conversation. We never got the time yeah. that Miss Taylor sat yeah. down with Violetta and said, actually, this was my life, which I just thought was such a flaw in the book and character development. Yeah, well, potentially that age-old adage of show, don't tell was lost a little bit because all of this was written in hindsight. Yeah. With this 100-year-old woman kind of looking back, we got a lot of telling and not always a lot of showing. Did you feel that? Yeah, I felt that consistently throughout the book about a lot of plot points, a lot of characters. I felt like I wanted to know more and I just wanted to shake Isabel Londo and be like, give me more. Or maybe like a spin-off book at least of Teresa and Miss Taylor. Yeah, interesting. I really warmed to Torito, that big, gentle giant that lived with the family. He didn't have any family of his own. He was kind of a safe haven again for so many of the characters in this book, particularly Violetta. I just found his storyline to be a really compelling one again about intellectual disability and maybe how people were treated during this time. I also loved the storyline of how Torito saved Violetta from that sexual assault and I particularly enjoyed this line on page 82. When I tried to thank Torito he just repeated the same words he'd said to the police when they interrogated him about Pasquale Friere. I don't know that dead man. According to Jose Antonio, that could be interpreted a number of ways. I just loved the way that that storyline was kind of touched upon. And Torito was a hero. Torito was my favourite. You said like friendly giant before and that's what I have written down here. I have Torito in exclamation marks. Major friendly giant vibes (laughs) is what I wrote down. One of the saddest moments when I was reading this book was when he died. And I was like, why'd you have to kill him off? It was like, he was such a good nice man and it was like a really easy way to get the audience the readers to feel sad it also just felt like such an anti-climax yeah it was just like suddenly I, I think I had a lot of whiplash in this book at a lot of moments. I'm getting a lot of negativity <laughs> from the no, two I of don't you. even mean to I'm, I'm just being honest with my thoughts I, I, like at some point it's like oh and then Torito never returned and yeah. it's like okay with that in mind though I thought she wrote about addiction and grief so well when it came to the character of Nieves I thought when she wrote this passage after Nieves died 
I read that straight away and I was like, you've definitely lost a kid before. Like I actually will get it up. It's on page 206. And I just read that and I was like, I do not think you could write this this way without having lost a child. And then straight away I jumped out of the book and Googled it and it was true. Mm. She said, telling you all this, Camilo, the stab of pain that sliced through my chest that day comes back in full force. It's a recurring pain that ambushes me out of nowhere. There can't be a pain worse than that one. So great. It has no name. I know, I know who am I to complain my daughter's death wasn't a punishment I am just a statistic this is the oldest and most common suffering in human history before no one even expected children to survive so many died in childhood and it's still that way in a large part of the world but that does nothing to lessen the horror when you're a mother I felt like I'd been emptied out from the inside I was a bloody cavity I couldn't breathe my bones were made of wax my soul had taken flight Mm. I was like I just don't know if you're writing it that accurately and I hadn't found much of the book poetic until that point and I was like there is no way you haven't experienced that and it was very beautiful when she wrote about it god that's heartbreaking hearing you read that again it's like well none of us have obviously experienced that but it's yeah really really heartbreaking I think the way Nieves was written was really epic and to be honest I think the way Julian her father and of course Violetta's on and off again partner was really powerfully written as well. I hated Julian. Oh my like God. I really despised him with the fire of a thousand suns, but he was written, I think, exceptionally well in that you weren't supposed to like him, but he was realistic. I could visualize him. I think we have all seen characters like him either in our personal lives or in television, film, whatever. He just sung out to me as a character that really rang true. Yeah. yeah. I felt strongly about few of these characters but Julian was one of them I felt strong hate for that Mm. guy did we get the sense that he abused Nieves yeah yeah I think so I think the the one that stands out to me the little tidbit about how he rubbed sun lotion on her back really stood out to me and then I think also Nieves not wanting him anywhere near her in the final stages of her life I don't think the baby was his I don't believe that there was kind of like a throwaway line suggesting it could have been but I do think he sexually abused used her when she was a teenager. I wondered why that wasn't touched on more. Maybe because she never knew. Yeah, no, but she sort of hinted towards it herself. Like Mm. I felt like she was saying it without saying it. And I was like, this is your life and your story. And it is probably important to the son of Nieves that he knows that explicitly. I just felt that was odd. Maybe it comes back to what you said before, show don't tell. Maybe Isabel was trying to make the readers guess. And I guess we guessed. Just back on Isabel Olande as well. What I found very interesting is I think Nieves was written so well as well because it was based on her stepdaughter, who was also an addict. She said that her former husband, Willie, had three children who were all addicts, actually, and they all died. And so that incredibly traumatic experience from afar would definitely inform how realistic this storyline is. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about any of the men in this book that we loved more than perhaps we loved Julian. We loved Torito. We loved Jose Antonio. We also surely loved Roy. Roy, like the fixer of things. Loved Roy. fixer of things. Yes, he was one of my favourites. I mainly just loved the love between Roy and Violetta. Mm. Like it was very comfortable and reliable. And I just feel like that was uniquely magical. Like their love was easy but rock solid. Mm. What about the children though, Violetta's kids? I loved Nieves. I thought she was written really well. 
Juan Martin was not ridden well, in my opinion. He just like completely changed almost overnight from being this gorgeous, sensitive, kind, loving boy to being a boy who wanted nothing to do with his mum. That made absolutely no sense to me. It's like how that relationship was written at the start was quite beautiful. They seemed to have a bond that she didn't have with Nieves. I thought he seemed very lovable and sensitive. And then literally, as you say, overnight, he wanted nothing to do with her. Even when he went into exile because he was blacklisted and he didn't contact his mother for four years and it wasn't because he was worried about getting caught he was worried about his dad finding out where he was yeah and it's like what kid doesn't in some way shape or form in code just send a message a flare-up to your mother mm. saying i am alive like that was fucking bizarre to me yeah and also surely you trust your mother given they're not even together exactly. given they don't live in the same country and it's life yeah. or death she's not stupid yeah like tell her I'm alive, don't tell dad. I'm sure she's not going to betray you when she owes nothing to Julian. She doesn't even like Julian. I felt like that was an excuse, the, oh, I don't want my dad, Julian, finding 100%. out where I am. Because, like, by the end of the book, he was still not contacting his mother just because he was lazy. Yeah. It was bizarre. Strange. I, as I said, though, there were so many characters in this book that I loved. Like, Facunda and Elvina were beautiful women with, like, huge hearts. And I think there was a lot of love in this story when the story itself was quite chaotic. Yeah. Like there was so much going on politically around these people and yet they consistently banded together and sort of redefined what it meant to be family, which I loved. I felt nothing for Edelvina. Like literally every time she popped up, I was like, who is this person? Why is she in the story? I felt like she could have easily been removed and it would not have changed a thing. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. I can't even really remember her connection. There you were know, a lot of characters. granddaughter. Yeah, I so know, but I was characters. like, oh, Bakunda yeah. was yeah. great, but Etelvina, I'm like, we're just adding names for the sake of adding names yeah. at this point. I do agree with you. I mean, I loved her, but it's true. If she was removed, not much would change. Harold can just like <laughs> Harold with an A. Harold. Harold. <laughs> like, what is going on there? Why did we need Harold? I'm sorry. I actually mm. really enjoyed a lot of this book. I disagree with you both because you clearly have some negative shit you need to work through when it comes to this read. I enjoyed a lot of this book until maybe the last 60 pages when I could have just gone at it with an axe to be like, none of this is needed. It adds nothing. I don't know why we need to read all about Harold. I felt zilch about him. Yeah, Violetta should have ended up with Roy for sure. I feel like Roy should have come back in the end and then they ended up together, don't you think? Well, Roy died. Yeah, yeah but like if he hadn't have died. Oh. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, she they also had power not to kill him off. So. <laughs> or he could have died and that could have been her last love. I mean, yeah. some of the additional storylines added on to this I actually do think this book went for 30 years more than it needed to but then I need to be self-aware is that some inherent ageism in me where I don't find the story of a 90 year old as interesting as the story of a 19 year old perhaps but then I think even by Violetta's own admission in the book she was old time was passing she wasn't doing much her body was kind of aging and breaking down she by her own admission would admit the last 10 to 20 years she didn't weren't say that, that at all. I got a completely different sense. In fact, I was quite inspired in part of this book about how much she lived from the ages of like 80 to 95. I was like, fuck, if you're going to live that long, you might as well live it well. Mm. So many times in this book, she said like, I'm 90, but I've never felt better. I've never had more zest for life. I don't know. I think I've read, to be honest, the last 30 or 40 pages 
almost like it was a textbook, which I know that reviews have said about this as a criticism. It was like, here's all the incredible stuff I did with the foundation. It could have been in any other book. It did not feel like a fiction book anymore. It almost transparently felt like maybe Isabella Londe was speaking about her own foundation (laughs) in real life and putting it in this book. I did not need to read, as lovely as it is that people do great things for the world, you cannot sell me on a foundation for that many pages. You I just, just jumped care. straight to our weaknesses, Michelle. You went way too far ahead. <laughs> Before we get there, let's hear a word from today's sponsor. All right, guys, I preemptively jumped there before anyway. <laughs> Let's do it properly now. What were the strengths and weaknesses of Violetta? Annabelle, I'll start with you. Are you going to start with weaknesses given the way you've kind of tackled this episode so far? <laughs> no, no, no. I will start with strengths. I did love the storytelling of diverse love in a lifetime. Like I felt like that was really strong. This is a weird parallel, but the structure and the romantic encounters in Violetta reminded me of that TV show, Love Life with Anna Kendrick. I love that TV show. You're so right. Yes. I forgot about that show. That's an underrated show. So good. And I remember the last episode of that show after introducing the audience to all of the kinds of loves, the main character ended up finding a life partner who didn't by any means like sweep her off her feet, but it was kind of this like really lovely, slow, wholesome love. Mm. And I felt the same way about the the rock solid loves in Violetta's life mm. and that we'd been introduced to all these people and then finally there was this love that never let her down. Yeah. Even though I didn't like Harold. Yeah. Well, it, I liked how she described what that love was. It yeah. was just like he seemed boring, to be honest, <laughs> like completely boring. I think for me one of the strengths of the book, again, was how she wrote about age and how yeah. she wrote about even just through her own character how you can have a zest for life right up until the end. And I was like, I would love that. Like, I would love to be that when I'm older. Like, I just adored that part of the story. That said, I felt like in this book, because we covered a hundred years, we got so much, but not a lot of it was deep. Like, Mm. I feel like you're just skimming the surface of someone's life when you are covering a century. And I think for me, I would have much preferred to have dived into one part of her life rather than having the whole story. Like give me the part of your life, maybe around Teresa, Miss Taylor. I don't know. I'm just like, give me one part, not the whole thing. You wanted a snapshot, which is so interesting because you've said that about previous books that we've done that have been snapshots that you've loved. Like the last book. Exactly. Whereas I don't necessarily love that about books. Often I want to get a full picture of someone, which I really enjoyed about this. I didn't need every single event to be hashed out and like kind of retraced over and over again. I wanted the story of Violetta in its entirety. That was actually the strength of the book to me, which is super interesting. I got the impression from you two, and maybe you'll disagree with this, that you struggled with the childhood stories that maybe the first hundred pages were tricky to get through. Is that accurate? They weren't tricky for me. I was kind of trying to rush through them though to get to the juicy bits because like I love a love story and I thought that more romance would happen in the middle of the book. But then when we got there, I was like, even though I did love the love stories in this book, 
I didn't get much sauce. No, <laughs> saucy romance. That comes down to one of the fundamental flaws of this book for me is that it's a grandmother writing to her grandson about her life story and there's not going to be any juice in that. And yeah. it's like that is just like the most clear fundamental flaw to be like this is not going to be an interesting, salacious, juicy read. From the start, I think I realised that very early on yeah. when she sort of referenced sex very briefly and then apologised to Camilo and I was like, oh, dear, we are in trouble <laughs> here because we're not going to get anything that – you know, you might tell a girlfriend. And I think as I got through the book, I thought, okay, I can forgive this novel. I really can for the structure. If there's a reason she's writing to Camilo. Give if me an Easter egg. Yes. Give me something huge about why you need to write this down for him. And we never got that. It almost would have saved the story in my eyes because everything would have made sense. Like I wanted some massive twisty reason as to why Camilo needed this written down and he just never did. Right. Interesting. I agree with you. I think it was definitely a flaw that it was a grandmother writing to her grandson. I think that's a particularly awkward way to talk about romance and sexual relationships. Grandmother to granddaughter, I don't necessarily think that would have been the case. Also, given the grandson's a priest. Why make him a priest? Literally, why make him a priest? As soon as I figured that out, I was like, oh dear. And I think for the rest of the book, I really struggled. And that was when it was continually talking about charity and And about fundraising and bird watching. And I was like, what what happened here? Because I genuinely flew through the first 250 pages. I would have given the first 250 pages close to a 10 out of 10. Even though you guys had your issues with it, I actually really enjoyed it. I flew through the childhood stuff. I really loved the childhood chapters in particular. But the longer this went on, the worse it got. And I agree with you, Zara. It should have been a long letter to someone else. It would have been more powerful for this to have been a long letter written to a newborn who was getting all of Violetta's money. It ended up being to Camillo, who already <laughs> lived through half of this shit anyway. Like, he was a fully grown man. Yeah. So what's the need for the letter rehashing the details of his own life? Every time he was brought back up, particularly in the Africa section, I was like, why are we rehashing Camillo's own history to Camillo? Was it not bizarre to you that she started writing to Camillo and speaking of Camillo in such a loving way? And then suddenly yeah. she's got like really fucking yeah. harsh. Like I've got this section and I was like, is this a cultural thing? Have I missed something? She she wrote to him, I think about the foundation and I kept highlighting passages like this one on page <laughs> 274, where she said, you could do a lot of good with my money, but you lack the talent to run the foundation. You are too distracted. (laughs) That was soft compared to the other shit she said to him. And then suddenly I was like, when did the tone change? Like when did our resentments for Camilo come to the surface? Because I can't quite track this. I have to say, and this might be quite a controversial thing to say, I actually don't think a life story makes for a good story particularly over a hundred years. I think if you're writing a life story over a hundred years, you are going to be fed a heap of unnecessary detail that doesn't add to the plot and you are (laughs) going to have far too many characters. And so it's bizarre to me that Isabella Londe could go to her publisher after 21 books and say, (laughs) let's write a hundred year old story when the flaws of fiction, every flaw about fiction is in that format. Yeah, before we get your thoughts on that point, Annabelle, I've got to agree with you, Zara, and I pulled out a quote from page 297, which if you've read Violetta, you would know it's when shit's getting real slow and real dry by page 297. If you are opening a chapter with this passage, you have officially lost me from the book. 
It reads like this. The year I sent you to Norway to rescue you from the clutches of that supermarket manager, Harold and I went to see you before going to the cabin in the woods. The Norwegian salmon industry had enjoyed 20 years of prosperity and the country was the largest exporter of salmon in the world. (laughs) Like, if we're going to cover 100 years, how the Norwegian salmon industry is faring shouldn't make the cut. Told you, too much unnecessary detail. Yeah, I agree with you, Zara. (laughs) The only good thing I think about capturing a whole lifetime is that you really get to feel the family love. Mm. Like I think that the family love in this book was really vivid and the intergenerational relationships between everyone, that was my favourite bit. And especially the descriptions of people helping each other in the communities on the farm. I really liked those passages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with you there. I do agree with you (laughs) there. Yeah, that sense of community, I don't think we have that here. Yeah. Like that concept of just like taking people in, no questions asked, that happened consistently throughout this book. I was like, we don't really have that. Yeah, but then I really struggled to attach myself to the culture of this country. I've got to remind everyone, I liked this book, by the way, but there were definitely Oh, she's jumping on her bandwagon (laughs) to get caught up in the heart. (laughs) Come here, Michelle. (laughs) Why or how can a reader connect with a certain community or a certain culture when a country is not named. For what purpose was Chile not named as Chile? And everyone who's reviewed this book has said geographically the way this country is referred to, the history of the country, Isabella Londe's own heritage is in Chile. So why were we not just told this is set in Chile? I don't know, but I struggled with that hugely because my thoughts couldn't land on the page for a long time because I was like, I don't know where I am. Like, I do not know where I am, so I cannot centre myself here. Yeah, and also there were references to other countries and that confused me as well. I couldn't gauge the setting. Well, that's the thing. The geography was hard. We were talking about the political climates in other countries why make it confusing or why add that extra layer to a story where there's already a lot going on to be like, and I'm going to keep the country a secret. It just felt to me like one of those narrative devices that authors use for a little bit of flair that actually backfire because it just seems a little bit wanky. The only thing I thought was like, is there anything about this given it's so closely tied perhaps to our own history if there's something she's just being awfully cautious about Mm. by not naming Chile? That was the only kind of pass I could give her and for that reason, sure. I mean, yeah. if this is going to protect you or make you feel a little bit more calm, then go for it. But I don't know. Yeah. One weakness, my final weakness I'd like to bring to the table is I also felt like maybe there wasn't enough introspection into whether or not Violetta was a good person. I felt like Violetta did some pretty dodgy shit across her life. Like she was very charismatic, very endearing in parts, but also behaved quite badly. She was associated with a guy who had ties to the mafia, had ties to some very, very dodgy people, did some very, very dodgy things in Julian, but never really held herself accountable for how that relationship functioned or the damage that Julian did. She also cheated quite badly on Fabian to leave him for Julian, which like I'm not going to cry in to my pillow at night over poor <laughs> Fabian. But I just felt like maybe there wasn't enough work done for Violetta to examine herself. And I found it interesting because there was a review in the New York Times by Gabriella Garcia that really hit the nail on the head for me in that respect as well. Garcia wrote, when Violetta finally considers her own passive collusion with the regime, having amassed wealth and led a comfortable life while the country bled around her, I wished for some of the same perspicacity. And I've got to say, guys, I don't know if that final word is even I pronounced even know what that word is. I'm going to start Pers- using it though. I think it is. But that really rang true for me. This woman profited a lot from some really ugly, bloody, murderous groups of people and never really examined that. If anything, just told us for 50 pages in a row how incredible she was. I didn't feel like she told us how incredible she was. 
I think maybe you're right. She probably wasn't as introspective as she could have been. But I, I didn't feel like she fell on either side of that spectrum. Like I felt like she just sort of fell in the middle. I kind of liked her. Like she's the kind of person that I tend to gravitate to because I don't know, maybe I'm just like not like this, but she's someone who's like a little hardened and a little brash, but who softens with time and who loves a lot and generally wants to do good. But is also, I think she was self-aware about her flaws, but also unapologetic about who she was. Like, Mm. I think both of those things existed within her. I didn't mind her and I didn't find her arrogant or annoying, but I also didn't find her self-flagellating. So I guess I kind of liked it. Yeah. I liked her, but I didn't think she was a good person, which is an interesting I admired her self-sufficiency. Like as a woman in that time, she really did whatever she could to make it work and she did it well. And funnily enough, like you mentioned this question, whether or not Violetta was a good person off mic before. And I was like, I don't, I feel like I thought about Violetta as a character the least, which is strange because she was the narrator. She was like the main character, I guess. But yeah, I feel like we often find in book club that the main character isn't always the most likeable or interesting character. There's this really interesting quote from Isabella Londe where she said something like about her family. She said, I don't know if they even like me, but who cares because loving them is my joy. I definitely felt like Violetta had this characteristic of like, there's no sense or care in the world about whether people like her that much. It's like loving is clearly what she was good at and what she liked to do on that. I know I'm going backwards a bit and introducing <laughs> a new point right at the end, but there was these constant references to her being a bad mother and I was like, and working too much when the kids were born. And I was like, I just didn't see that that much when you told the story. I don't think she should have beaten herself up for working too much. I think that's quite loaded, but I don't think she was a present or particularly loving mother. And that probably played into me thinking, is this woman a good person? I think the way she responded to Nieves in particular and the way Nieves behaved as a teenager and Violetta just kind of like threw her hands up in the air often when it came to Nieves' behaviour really troubled me. Nieves, I agree. But the way she spoke about Juan Martin and their bond, I was like, you seem like an incredible mother. Mm. You're but doing the, all that you can. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> You're really, doing all that you can. <laughs> I didn't really understand. Interesting. Guys, are we ready to give our ratings every episode? If you've listened to the Shameless Book Club before, you would know we each rate the book out of five stars. Annabelle, you look nervous. I'm going to start with you. Come on. You've given it some wax. Yes. What are you going to give it with star ratings? I'm going to give it a three. Higher than I thought you would Oh, really? A three? Yes, because I tend to be generous. (laughs) I was a little bit bored at times, but I thought it was a really colourful depiction of a life and a family dynamic. And Violetta is kind and nice. (laughs) And I think she did. She was a wonderful mother. She did what she could. Cool. Um, A two. A two. Any comments to go along with that two-star rating? I mean, I've said a bit. I just would not have finished it if I didn't have to for work. See, that for me is a one. If it's a DNF, it's a one for me. One feels spectacularly harsh though, doesn't it? And we also said that we wouldn't recommend it to people. I wouldn't recommend it. Interesting. You can't give it a three if you wouldn't recommend it. That's That's above average. Yeah. I'm revising Annabelle's down to a (laughs) 2.5. I think you're- 2.5. You're a two or a 2.5. If you're not, if you're telling people do not buy this book, you cannot go six out of 10 or three out of five. I would say read it if you want something to read but I just, <laughs> <laughs> something to 
tells me there's a surplus of other books in the world that we can recommend them to read. Look, I've got to disagree with you both. I think it was a solid book. It would have been definitely strengthened by either culling the last 50 pages or spreading out the drama that happened in the first 250 so that it was over the 300 because there was really not enough juice or intrigue in those final chapters to really get me going. I'm going to give it a 3.5. If you had asked me at page 250, it would have been a 4.5 or a 5. So it's a shame. I could have done without the priesthood stuff and the bird watching in particular. Oh, God. I'm so interested to hear what our listeners think about this and our readers, our book clubbers, because <laughs> this has a really remarkable rating on good rates. Mm. So we actually are in the uh, minority team. Uh, Annabelle's going to sweat about that for the rest I know. of the week. <laughs> Don't hate me, Isabel. Oh, she's doing all right. <laughs> 70 million books later, That's I think true. she's not too fussed about the opinion of us <laughs> on this podcast. Guys, thank you so much for listening to the March installment of the shameless book club next month guys for april we will be reading an american marriage by tayari jones here's a passage from the blurb newlyweds celestial and roy are the embodiment of both the american dream and the new south he is a young executive and she is an artist on the brink of an exciting career when roy is arrested and sentenced to 12 years for a crime celestial knows he didn't commit though fiercely independent celestial finds herself bereft and unmoored taking comfort in Andre, her childhood friend and best man at their wedding. Juicy. As Roy's time in prison passes, she is unable to hold on to the love that has been her centre. After five years, Roy's conviction is suddenly overturned and he returns to Atlanta, ready to resume their life together. We cannot wait to dive into this one. In the meantime, guys, tell us your thoughts on Violetta. We will share our ratings over on at the Shameless Book Club on Instagram. We would love to hear from you. Otherwise, we'll be back in your ears on Monday for part two of our Nanny Diaries series with Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner. Bye. 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 <laughs>